So turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles over here on the back table. It's a lot easier to follow along through the text if you have a Bible in your hand. And also make sure, you can also make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Amen? Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We pray for those that are watching on live stream as well, those that will hear us on the radio later or watch it on, on Vimeo or YouTube. And so, Lord, just minister to every heart. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. So Second Chronicles is a book that was written to the children of Israel who had been in bondage in Babylon and were coming back to Jerusalem. Both First and Second Chronicles were written to this group of people who'd been in bondage for 70 years, and now they're coming back to Israel to a place that many of them had never been before. So First and Second Chronicles is a history lesson for them about what God had done in Israel before, and it was also a roadmap for how they were to live as they were entering in back into Israel and specifically into Jerusalem yet again. If you were here for First Chronicles, it dealt largely with the life of King David. And so we saw the life of King David, and when First Chronicles ends, we see the death of King David, and now, starting in chapter uh, in Second Chronicles, we started beginning by looking at the life of Solomon. If you were here two weeks ago, I wasn't here last Thursday, but if you were here two weeks ago, I told the message, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about ways that uh, we can draw close to the Lord, first by seeking the Lord, asking according to his will, not our wants. By the way, that's a great thing for us to do when we pray. We don't pray for what we want, we pray for what he wills, because God is so much smarter than us, amen? God knows what's best, we trust him. We pray according to his will, not, not my will, but thy will be done. And then thirdly, to keep our priorities straight. And we saw that in that text last time that Solomon was asked by God for anything he wanted. And I don't believe, again, I know that God, of course, knows what he's doing, but if Solomon had asked just to be the richest man on the planet, he might not have answered that in the way that Solomon wanted. But he asked, and what did he ask for? Who remembers? For wisdom. And he asked for wisdom, and because he asked for wisdom, God then did make him the richest man on the planet and really blessed him because what he wanted was wisdom to know how to be king. Because keep in mind, when he became king, Solomon is probably a teenager. And his dad, according to the Bible, was the greatest king that Jerusalem ever had. So imagine being a teenager, following in your dad's footsteps, and you're overseeing the greatest kingdom on the earth. Your dad has already defeated all the enemies, uh, and now you know that your first task is going to be to rebuild the temple. God would not allow David to build the temple because he was a man of war, and it was going to be the first thing in order for Solomon to do, and he was no doubt overwhelmed. How can I follow him? my dad's footsteps. Lord, I need help. Lord, give me wisdom. By the way, that's a great prayer for all of us to pray. Amen? We need wisdom. We need to hear from the Lord because too often we make decisions in our own strength and that doesn't work out so well. So if you have your outline for tonight, grab that. In 2 Chronicles 2, I tell the message, keeping the main thing, the main thing. So Solomon now is king. And Solomon is now on the throne. And Solomon is now going to begin to, to do the things that a king would do. And we're going to see what his priorities are in the beginning. And we're going to see because God has given him wisdom, because his dad had, remember, already gathered much of the things that were needed to build the temple, including the blueprints, that 
That was the expectation of his father. And we're going to see how Solomon responds. Four points we're going to look at in keeping the main thing, the main thing, living a life that puts the Lord first in everything. First of all, making God the priority. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. To live every day to bring glory and honor to his name, knowing him and making him known. I would just ask you all this a question, and, and this is fair. And we all struggle with it from time to time. What is the priority of your life? What is the passion? When you wake up in the morning, what's that thing you're thinking about? What is the, what is the thing you'd be most excited about if it took place? I know, I know somebody just won a, a billion dollars in the lottery. Some of you might be pretty happy if that happened to you, right? But the reality is, and again, it, it sounds like and some of us would struggle with this, but I would rather my next door neighbor get saved than win a billion dollars. Because the money's all going to burn anyway, and it just doesn't matter, amen, in the end. And again, we want to be good stewards of our finances. So first of all, make God the priority. Again, if you're going to school, be the best student. If you're, if you're working in a business, be the best worker. If you're retired, use your time wisely to minister to people around you. No matter where we are, God has us there for a reason. You're salt and light of your neighborhood. You're salt and light of your, of your business where you work, your workplace. You're salt and light of the college where you're on campus. God wants to use you there and make him the priority. And again, when you make God the priority... You'll be a good student, you'll be a good worker, you'll be a good husband, a good, mom, a good mom, a good wife, a good father. And so we want to make him the priority. Number two, we learned that we're going to see tonight that Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. We're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it, but we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. You know, the Bible says as the, the time draws closer that we should draw come together more and more and all the more as the day approaches. So as believers in Christ, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. It's not something we do in isolation. You have gifts I don't have. I may have gifts you don't have. And when the body of Christ comes together, we're able to minister one to another. That's how the body of Christ works. We need to help each other, uh, again, if we're going to be faithful. We need to help, help of others. Again, when we walk alone, when there's no accountability, when, you know, it's, as, as iron sharpens iron, so the man builds up a countenance of his friend. The Bible says a three-cord strand is not easily broken. And again, we need to also not recognize the calling God has placed upon our lives. Point number three, reflecting the Lord to a lost and a dying world. We're going to see Solomon having interactions with a king that was a friend of David's. And when he has this interaction, we're going to see that this king is going to say, I see the Lord's hand on you. And God's blessing your people. And you know what? And he's going to see that in his life. And I want you to know that unbelievers can see something different in those of us who know the Lord if we are living for him. Amen? They're going to want to know why we respond differently than the world does in the midst of difficulties and trials. One of my, I was going to share it in the message, but I'll just share it now. I had a boss, who, a Muslim boss, that for 15 years I prayed for her. And one of the things that God used is they announced that we were going to have huge layoffs at the company that I still work for. Most of you guys know, long being a pastor, I've worked for the same company for 34 years. And this was 20-something years ago. And they were announcing these huge layoffs. And we had a group that they called the God Squad. It was just a Bible study at the, at the office. They just kept growing. And the people that didn't want anything to do with the Lord called us that name, not in a kind way, but in a mocking way. Here comes the God Squad, right? Well, she came to me one day and she said, I hate to admit this, but I noticed that everybody in the office is panicking about getting laid off, except for one group of people. 
And she said, it's all, and she goes, I started thinking, who's not panicking? And I'm like, oh, he goes to the Bible study, she goes to the Bible study, he goes to the Bible study, she goes. It's all the Christians, you guys don't panic. What's wrong with you people? Don't you know you could lose your job, right? And I said, you know what? Our father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and we have nothing to be afraid of, amen? And so the world does see when we live different than the world. We'll see that in tonight's text. Reflecting the Lord to a lost and dying world. And then finally, where God guides, God provides. You know, with a godly calling and obedience comes godly provision. Through God's, God's provision, doors are open to reach the lost and dying world. And we're going to see tonight that when God has this calling on Solomon's life, he's going to be the one that provides everything they need for him to do what God has called him to do. So let's begin there looking at keeping the main thing, the main thing. There in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And let's pick up there in verse 1. It says, Then Solomon determined to build the temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. So now David had handed off the, the blueprints. He had told his son from a young age that I'm not going to be able to build the temple, but this is what God is calling you to do, and this should be your priority when you become king. And don't lose sight of the thing that you're called to do. And then he gathered up most, not all, but we're going to see him gathering up more materials to finish the temple. But he gathered up a lot of the materials. He had everything ready to go. But now David's gone. And now Solomon is left up to himself. And Solomon could have just said, you know what, I'm the king now and I really don't care about the temple. And we're going to see later that Solomon is going to do that to some degree. Because he's going to start marrying women that are... Uh, not believers and many of them. And then he's going to fall into the trap of starting to worship these false gods. But Solomon is going to start well because he, even as a young man, now on the throne, it'd be easy for him to just do something that his flesh wants. But instead he starts off there in verse one, he determined to build a temple. His determination was fitting because of all that his father David did to prepare him. And, and faithfully and thankfully, Solomon is starting well. We might think the greatest thing about Solomon was his wisdom or his riches or the fact that he wrote most of the Proverbs, which is amazing. But clearly for the chronicler here that's writing this history lesson for all these Babylon, the, all the believers, all the Israelites that were in Babylonian captivity, as they're coming back, the first thing he wants to mention as being the priority in Solomon's life was rebuilding the temple. Now, why is that so important? Well, the reason it was so important is the temple was a place where they made sacrifices unto the Lord. It was a place where they went to worship, and it also represented God's presence amongst God's people. And so for him, the first thing that needed to be done is we need to make sure that God's presence amongst God's people is the number one priority. That this is more important than defeating our enemies. This is more important than great wealth. This is more important than good health. And he had learned this from his own father, who in the end of his life gathered up the musicians for the temple and gathered up all the craftsmen to help him build it and had them all ready. He didn't talk to his son about how to win wars, even though he was a great warrior. He didn't teach him about, you know, how to have a good administration or how to deal with finances. The whole thing, the whole focus was we need to make God the priority. And you know what? That's a great lesson for the United States of America. Amen? We need to make God great again in this country. We know that God is great, but we have sadly, most and many have turned their back on him. 
So the building of the temple took priority over everything else, both in the time of Solomon and in the time, again, when they were returning from Babylon into Jerusalem, and they're learning from this history lesson that this is what should be the priority for them as they return. And again, more important than anything else in the wisdom was making the temple the priority. Again, it signifies the presence of Almighty God amongst God's people. And again, we're living in a time now in our country, a country that was founded on uh, Christianity. And some would argue that, but those are people who teach a different history because it's inconvenient to teach that. But this country was founded on Christian faith. And you know what? God blessed it. You know what's amazing? There have been more inventions in the last hundred years and the major ones, you know, flight, right? Televisions, radio, electricity, right? I mean, 100 plus years, but probably 90% of them came out of this country. And we're, I don't know what percentage we are of the world's population, probably four or 5%. Why is that? Because when people honor God, God uses them mightily, amen? And we made God the priority and God has blessed our country because of that. So God must be the priority in the life of every believer, knowing him and making him known, not just building the temple in those days, but in our lives. Where is the temple today? Where is it? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in those days, they had to build a temple. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are the temple. Amen? And so the temple, we need to make that the priority, make, putting God first. And again, worshiping him from the depths of our hearts, walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord, reading and obeying his word. Obedience is the highest form of worship. And again, the Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you make God the priority, he'll take care of the rest. What is the priority of your life? Again, what are you most passionate about? When I was a young man, um, there, you know, I, I, I got saved. Most of you guys know at, at four and a half in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class, the First Baptist Church in Wilmington in 1968. So yes, I'm old. But um, when I was a young man in my late teens, early 20s, uh, I could say that I loved the Lord. I was never ashamed of my faith. I never walked away from the Lord. But when I woke up in the morning, I thought about lifting weights and eating and running up hills uh, because I was all about playing football in college. And I would schedule my life around football and around lifting weights and around my diet and the whole thing. And it was a passion of mine. And you know what? And you can have other passions, but they must never be anywhere close to the passion we have for the Lord. Amen? And you know what? God worked that out. He just had me get injured really badly so I could never play again. And you know what? Sometimes we put things in front of the Lord, even for a moment or even for a time, God loves us enough to take them out of the way so they won't be a problem anymore. Amen? So notice this number one thing, the thing he's determined to do. I'm determined to do this. I'm determined. I have a friend that's uh, working on a master's degree and just determination, the priority. I have a, a niece that's in uh, a USC medical school and she loves the Lord, but you know, it's very time consuming and that can happen with our careers. It can happen with anything else. And I'm not saying we don't do all those things with excellence, but they must come second to the Lord. But notice he also built a royal house for himself. So Solomon's greatest work uh, and priority was the temple, but he also built a house for himself and again, I think that we do need to make God the priority, but we also need to take care of our family. Amen? 
And that's one of God's priorities is that I be the spiritual leader in my home, that I minister to my family, that I minister to my wife. And all of us, that again, our first ministry begins at home. Verse 2, Solomon selected 70,000 men, my word, 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. 153,600 people building a temple. Wow. Talk about a workforce, right? And, uh, you know, we could use a few of those workers right about now. Everybody's short of workers. But you know what? When, he, when he's doing something, this is part of his determination and to do things with excellence. His heart was not to take his sweet time to get about around to doing what God had called him to do. And often in the Christian life, if we're not careful, we will allow other things to get in the way and we will miss out on what God has called us to do in, in the immediate. And so too often, there's always a reason to postpone it. There's always a reason. That I've told you guys this many times before. A guy that I uh, was discipling in Santa Cruz, and I had him teach a few times, and was, he might have been, he's one of the most gifted Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. And I would always try to encourage him to get involved, like teaching in the men's study. And he always had a reason, well, as soon as all my kids are in school, well, as soon as all my kids are older and in high school, well, as soon as all my kids leave the house, well, now they got grandkids. And you know, and the last time I talked to him, you fast forward 25 years, and he's still postponing the calling God has placed upon his life because he's waiting for it to be the perfect time. You know the perfect time to start serving the Lord with all you have? Right now. Amen? Amen? Right now, instead of waiting till something else takes place, but start serving the Lord now. Make him the priority right now. And that's what Solomon does. He doesn't just throw a few guys at it and he doesn't put, you know, 153,000 guys on his palace and 50 guys on the temple. He puts 153,600 guys out there putting the temple together. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter tonight how it is the priority and the passion and the thing that comes first in the ministry and, and in his service as the king. It's going to take seven years to build the temple. And we're going to, we're going to, we find out that not a single workman died uh, not one, not did one person even get sick. And as the workmen were sound and robust from the first to the last, so the perfection of their tools remained unimpaired until the building stood complete. Now that's a God thing. They worked for seven years with 153,600 people. Nobody got sick, nobody died, and no tools broke. That is a God thing, amen? That's like when they wandered through the wilderness and everybody's clothes grew with them. That's pretty amazing, Amen. When you walk for 40 years and you never have to get a new pair of clothes because your clothes never wear out. See, while God's hand was on the work, he still chose to use people to get the work done. God could have just brought the temple out of the sky. We know he's actually going to do that during the millennial reign, right? There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we don't know how it's going to get here, but God says he's going to create it. So uh, I don't think it's going to be manual labor. I think he's going to make it happen. Now, again, what's amazing about this to me is that here's this young man and it would be so easy. I'm in charge. I'm, I'm the most powerful man on the planet. And, I'm, and maybe he could be as young as 14 or 15 years old. And it would be so tempting to do something else. And he didn't. 
And so he's, again, he is starting well. He's making this the priority. He's putting everything he has uh, toward the rebuilding of the temple, the building of the temple. And while many of the laborers were slaves and had no choice, but as to do as they were told, we are, not, we are bond servants. We've talked about this. What is a bond servant? It's someone who's a slave by choice. A bond servant is somebody who, most slaves were people that were taken into captivity through war, or they owed a great debt they couldn't repay. And, but once they paid off the debt, they were free to go. But there's a thing called a bond servant where you paid off the debt, and because you loved your master, you said, I just want to stay. So they became a bond servant, a servant for life, a, a slave by choice, if you will. They'd be taken down to the city square. They'd run it all through their ear, and, and that earring, that all in their ear, was, a, was signified the fact that they were now bond servants, slave by choice to their master. So while some of these that are building the temple, are gonna, we know are captives that were brought back from some of the wars that were won, and they were put to use. But I will say even this, we know from earlier in Second Chronicles that everybody that served at the temple, uh, there were some that did, that only would work four months. And then they would have eight months off and they would rotate people in so they could go home and farm and take care of their families and do everything else they needed to do. But again, he's putting the focal point on building the temple. This is the priority. It's not about me getting rich. It's not about me you know, exhibiting my power. It's about us building this for the Lord. So we're bond servants, slave by choice. There's no better master. It's a joy to serve him, to be used by him. And it's a get to, not a have to. I want to just say this, that I truly believe this is true, that the people that serve the most are often the people that grow the most. And it's because serving others is a way that God grows us spiritually. Now, we know this is true not just in the Old Testament, because in the New Testament it says this, it says this in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And his desire is that we would just make ourselves available. And the greatest ability in the kingdom of God is availability. Here I am, Lord, serve me. You've heard me quote this many times, one of my favorite Bible verses. We're coming up on it here in a little while. Uh, in chapter 7, is the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is not looking for a better method or a better message. He's got the best message. What he's looking for is just men and women who will say, I'm here, use me. And I want to say this, there's going to be more opportunities to, be, to serve around here. And we would love to see people use their gifts so we might better minister to the community around us. Again, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And when he returns, I pray that he finds us busy about his work. I pray that when he comes back, he doesn't find us napping, but serving. Amen? May we be about it for his kingdom. You know, there were 3,600 people who oversaw them. So we had 70,000 who were, you know, doing one thing, 80,000 who were digging in the quarry and 3,600 that were overseeing them. And that's a picture of the body of Christ. Because again, we all have different gifts and we all need to use our gifts if the church is going to properly function the way the Lord desires. So point number one, they're making God the priority. We seek God first. We live every day to bring glory and honor to his name, knowing him and making him known. What is the priority of your life? Point number two, Christianity is not for the lone ranger. Look at verse 
uh, 3. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, the king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Now, Hiram was not a Jewish man. He was a pagan. And Hiram was the king of Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon were known to have the best trees and the best wood. And so David had gone to him when he was king and built a relationship with this neighbor of his. And they became friends to some degree. And Hiram had helped him uh, build the, you know, David's house, the great palace he built for himself. After he built it, he looked down and saw this tent that God was, you know, where the ark was, where it was going to be. He said, how can I live in a palace? That's when he wanted to build the temple. But they had built a friendship and they had bartered amongst each other. So David knew that he had this relationship and Solomon knew from his father that he had a relationship with Hiram and they knew, he knew that they were the ones that had the best, you know, uh, lumber supplies. And so he's going to reach out to him. And when he does, he's going to use his dad's name. Hey, I know that you're friends of my dad. I know that you and my dad did business together. And you know what? I, I, I hope you can do the same for me. And I love that because of Hiram, the king of Tyre's relationship with his dad, we're going to see that he wants to bless his son. So Hiram, this king, again, the parallel passages tells us that he first sent ambassadors to Solomon. If you go read 1 Kings chapter 5, he sends ambassadors to Solomon after his dad dies to talk to him about grieving for his father and tell him how much he loved his dad. And then also, you know, you know, congratulating him in a sense for being king. And now when Solomon has a need, he reaches out to this other king. Now, what's interesting about this, we're going to see some things later on that are going to sound like Hiram is a believer in the true and living God. And, and maybe he was, but most people doubt it. But here's the point. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. But we should be ministering to a lost and a dying world and having relationships with people so we can tell them about the Lord. Amen. My Muslim boss, JJ, I was telling you about that was blown away by how we were not, none of the Christians were panicking. It was still another five years later, but when I spent a year in the hospital, she said, if you ever get well enough to go back to church, I'm coming that first Sunday. She came that first Sunday. She still didn't get saved. I gave her a Bible, and about a year after that, she gave her life to the Lord, and then she drove all the way down here to Malibu after I moved here to get baptized in the ocean. And you know, the whole point is that we have relationships with people that don't know the Lord that God is allowing us to have so we can tell them about the Lord. Amen. And so here's Hiram, you know, he hung out with David. He had a relationship with David. They had respect for each other. They were neighbors to each other. David was wiping out a lot of the enemies, but he built a friendship with Hiram. And now Hiram and Solomon are having a relationship as well. I love when relationships continue to the next generation. I have a love for my friend's kids. I taught at Calvary Chapel uh, up in Santa Cruz on Sunday, the Calvary and Capitola that we helped plant out of our church. And when I got done teaching, I was sitting in the front row during the last worship song and a lady came all the way from the back and gave me this big bear hug. And she said, I just want you to know that your dad was my first pastor and your dad led me to the Lord. 
And listening to you teach today, I felt like I was listening to your dad all over again. You have the same mannerisms. You're so much like your dad. And just because of that, I already love you already. And that's kind of what's happening here, right? I'm getting the blessing that she loved my dad. I had nothing to do with that, right? But here's same thing with Solomon. He's being blessed because his dad and Hiram had a relationship. And now because he loved his father, he has a love for Solomon. And I love this picture that we see here. And so he's realizing, I can't do this by myself. So I'm going to reach out to somebody that my dad used to help him. David had a good relationship with him, built up enough goodwill that Hiram was willing to help his son. A couple years ago, I was on a sales call. Most of you know that most of my clients I saw advertising are plumbers and heating and air conditioning, electricians and things like that. And one of my, one of my sons was looking for a job as a plumber. And I, all I said to, my, to one of my plumbers that I've gotten to be good friends with, I said, hey, are you hiring he said, I'm not, you know, not really at the moment, but why, what's up? I said, well, one of my sons is looking for a job as a plumber. This is what he said. I'm not kidding. He stopped. He said, if, you're, if he's your son, this is my son, I'll hire him right now. I don't know anything about him. He goes, he's your son? I'll hire him right now. I'm like, wow, okay. And my son went to work for him. But he just said, I'll hire him right now. You know why? Because I trust your character and I love our relationship. And any son of yours, I would love to have him working for me. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord, right? Well, see, again, here's that relationship that because of David's relationship with Hiram, it's now spilling down into, again, that next generation. And he says, and deal with me, deal with me, even so deal with me. And there's a lesson there, again, to have relationships. Again, we don't, we don't want to become like the world. We don't become like the world so we can minister to the world. We're different than the world so that the world will want to be ministered to. Amen? So we don't compromise our faith in, in order to, to, you know, we don't go, you know, we don't go to the strip club with unbelievers. Can I get an amen to that? I'm going to witness to them. No, we don't do that, right? We don't go and put ourselves in ungodly environments, but we also want to leave the door open to share the Lord with people. Amen? That should be our heart. And it was an opportunity. We can, you know, we can work with them. We can minister to them. And here's what's taking place is Solomon is spending time with this neighboring king who, whose land is filled with idol worship. And yet he's going to come and help him with the supplies he needs to build the temple to worship the true and living God. Verse 4. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him, to burn incense uh, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, the new moons on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is the ordinance forever in Israel. Now, in verse 4, he talks about all the things the temple will be used for. What is the temple going to be used for? Well, Solomon knew why he was building the building. And for each of us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Lord want to do in and through us? We are the church as we gather together. And again, we're a type or a picture of the temple. But notice the things that he already knows are important. They're going to take place in the temple. I'm building a building in the name for the name of the Lord. First of all, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen. So what does he say in that verse? I am building the temple for the name of the Lord my God. Now, the reason he says the name here, some believe because Jews would not even speak the name of God. 
They wouldn't even speak his name. Matter of fact, those that would inscribe scripture, when they would write one letter of God's name, they would go and cleanse themselves, cleanse their bodies, go through ritual bathing, everything else, get redressed, go write the next letter and go do it again. So they would have to go through fire, you know, they have to go through multiple cleansing, you know, baths and things just to write out God's name once. And so and a lot of times they would leave the vowels out, so they didn't write out the whole name. They would abbreviate it, like Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, right? They would, they would abbreviate it, so because there was such a reverence for the name of God. So some believe that he says, I'm doing this for the name of God, because he didn't want him to say God's name. But also because he wants to lift up and magnify the name of the, of the Lord. And guys, that's what we should be doing as believers, is lifting up his name, Amen. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that's not politically correct or popular today, but the truth rarely is. Amen? And we need to speak the truth with boldness and point people to the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only answer for what ails us, and his name is Jesus Christ. A place of worship to the one who has the name that is above all all names. While our God is far too great to ever be confined to a building, it was the place people went to to obey him by making sacrifices. This is where they went to worship him. Notice it says there some of the things that will take place. I'll go through these quickly, but it's important to know to burn incense. Now, why is that significant? We know in scripture the temple was a place where incense was burned, but incense was a picture of prayer. When they had the, the altar of incense, it was seated right, you had, the, you had a veil that was here, and inside the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, only one day a year could he go in and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a picture of the cross of Calvary. But there was an altar, a small little box on the outside where incense was lit 24 hours a day. And the priest would go in and make sure that incense never burnt out. And it would go over the top of the veil and into the Holy of Holies. And it represented prayer could never stop being made for God's people. We know that that's a picture of Jesus because right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. Amen? And so incense, burning of incense was a picture of prayer. And again, we as a church should be you shall make my father's house a house of prayer. Prayer should be a regular part of our day. And again, we should make him the priority. And it's something we should do without ceasing, right? You know, God's given us the cell phone to talk to him, right? Here's the phone. You can talk to me anywhere at any time. The batteries and the minutes never run out and it's free. Amen? And we can just, oh, we can talk to the Lord all day, every day, anywhere we go. That veil's been torn. We can come into his presence and maybe not miss out on it. And it's a picture of prayer. So prayer should be a regular part of our day. Prayer is pleasing to the Lord like sweet perfume. Prayer comes from things that are crushed. You know, when they make incense, the way that it smells is when it's crushed. And it's when we're crushed that, again, we often cry out to the Lord. Prayer is where we meet God. And we don't just pray to make yourself you know, look good or smell good. We pray to enter into his presence. So the temple is a place of prayer. It was a place of burning incense. But he also says there, a place of continual showbread. We know that the table of showbread was also in the holy place, not the holy of holies. It was the altar of incense was here. The table of showbread was here. The golden lampstand was here. The door coming in was there. Well, the table of showbread was the fact that he is the bread of life. There were 12 loaves for the 12 tribes of Israel, and God is their provision. And it was reminding them that he's the bread of life. He's the one that provides for us. 
And so they had this, the showbread, they would, they would bake and they would constantly change it out. And then the priests would eat the showbread that had been removed. So the play, it was a place for continual showbread. Again, um, in the tabernacle, there was a special table with bread on it. And I love this picture. There are different ways of looking at the table of showbread, but I see a picture of our fellowship with God. Again, we have communion, right? The, the four things that the first century church did, they were continued steadfast, and the apostles dropped into breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And so breaking of bread and agape feast, those are times when we are fellowshipping with the Lord, a picture of our fellowship with Almighty God. Again, they would bake 12 cakes. They would, you know, put them in two rows. There were reasons why they did all of that. Good place to read about that is Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9. I was going to go through that, but for the sake of time, go read that. And it was a good thing to be, a good reminder for us. So, they had the table of showbread, but also it was also there for burnt offerings. So burnt offerings were sacrifices being made unto the Lord that all of them ultimately pointed to the cross. So when they had burnt offerings, they would bring the animal. They would, they would uh, make sure the animal was perfect without blemish. They would then take the animal and strap it down to the altar and they would slit its throat and the blood would pour out. And it had four points and just like blood, Jesus bled from his hands, his head and his feet. The picture of the cross. The altar was the same perfect size for a man to lay down on. It was always pointing to Jesus. They would then take the blood and they would go cleanse themselves in the bronze laver, a picture of water baptism, right? Where we're, where we're being cleansed because of the shed blood, we've been cleansed. And then that was the blood that would then again be sacrificed to the Lord at the certain time. Uh, and they, they would go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And then the animal itself would be burnt up, consumed given to God. And again, that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the cross for us and he was, you know, and he suffered and died that we might have eternal life. But all these sacrifices were always pointing to Jesus. And they did sacrifices every morning, every night, special sacrifices on different, you know, feasts and different things that came along throughout the year. And so all of those sacrifices were always pointing to the one who was coming. And when Jesus came, when he said, it is finished on the cross of Calvary, that's why we don't have to make sacrifices anymore because the blood and bull of bulls and goats cannot save us, only the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary, amen? But see, all of these things that were in the temple were all pointing to Jesus. And we see here that he understands there needs to be incense burnt. We need a table of showbread. We've got to have the sacrifices. See, David had learned from his father and David was going to carry it out, even as a young king. And you know what? Because God had given him wisdom, he was able to do that. Again, the blood represented the animal's life, and they freely laid down their lives, again, as a sacrifice for others. Then it says there at the end of verse 4, it also says, uh, on the Sabbaths, to burn, continually burnt offerings morning and evening. And on the Sabbath, the new moon. So there was a daily commitment. Just as we are daily learned to present ourselves to God in dedication, the burnt offerings were done twice a day. And we too should be meeting with the Lord every day. Amen? Not once a week, not once a month, not when my football team's not on on Sunday morning. You know, when it should be the priority that we spend time with the Lord, that we begin, spend, and end our day with him. It's not about just making him savior and getting the good out of hell free card and putting my wallet and living like the world, but, but to make him the savior of our lives. 
and the Lord of our lives even more importantly. And so there's that daily commitment. God wants us every day. I'm glad that God hangs out with me every day and doesn't skip days. How about you? And God doesn't walk away from me or turn his back on me. Verse 5, and it says, In the temple which I shall build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. Now, who is he telling this to? Hiram, who's got his own gods. And he's not being shy about the fact that our God is greater than all gods. And as Christians, I, I'm tired of some, some of the things that are problem with political correctness is that we're afraid of offending somebody. Look, if I'm going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God and you have the answer to keep me from there, feel free to offend me. Can I get an amen to that? And the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. And I wrote down a bunch of names for the greatness of our God. But can we play that video right now? Is it ready? Should have given you a warning, huh? That's my bad. I'm going to show you a three-minute video called That's My King. We used to play it from time to time. And it just talks about some of the many names and attributes of our God. Go ahead. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter. Strong one. You don't have it? Okay. That's all right. So let's try then. <laughs> so he says that our God is the God of all gods. First of all, our God is all-knowing. Can I get amen to that? He knows everything. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is almighty. Our God is om omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. Our God is the creator, not the created. He always has been. He always will be. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the creator of all things. Again, there's no one greater than him. There's no one before him or beside him. There's only one God, and he is God, and he alone is God. Amen. And again, he alone is the one we worship. He alone is the one that we serve. And he alone is God. And every other God was created by men. They are false gods. And they are either demonic beings or they don't exist. And our God is the true and living God. And we must not be ashamed of that. Amen? We should shout it from the mountaintops. We have the answer that the world is looking for. The world is great. The work is great because our God is great. The word... Uh, great gets thrown around a lot, but only one deserves it. No one's great. There's a thing called goat, greatest of all times. He's the goat. No, God is the goat. Can I get an amen to that? No one else is. And by the way, he used to sacrifice goats. So that probably fits. It all points to him. Amen. They were sacrificing goats for the goat. Can I get an amen to that? He's the greatest of all time. So he is the king of kings. We must not be ashamed or quiet about the truth that he alone is God. People often ask you, how do you know that he's God and these other gods aren't God? Well, first of all, give me other, any other God that rose from the dead. Let's just start with that list and see how that works out. See who else is on that list. Tell me the other gods, quote, gods or messiahs or saviors that died for you. Show me the other ones that lived a sinless, perfect life. Show me the other ones that fulfilled over 200 Old Testament prophecies. Show me the ones who've had a greater impact on this planet than our Savior. Amen, amen, and amen. And so there are false gods. There all are false religions, but there's only one truth. And the point we're pointing to is Jesus. But notice what he says here. Our God is greater than all the gods, but who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot 
contain him. Now, even though he was building the temple for him, Solomon knew enough to knew that there was nothing that could contain our God. Our God is greater than any building, amen? But there needed to be a place where people could go to worship. There needed to be a place where people could go to make sacrifices to be reminded of the true and living God. And again, our God is outside of wherever we may go. He's greater than just where we are, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we gather together in, like, in this tent, right? When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? And we come together. There's something uh, special about that. When God's people join together to worship the Lord together, to study his word together. Again, blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. So even though he's building this building, he still knows that heaven can't contain him, and certainly a building's not going to contain him. But we're doing this as an act of worship and as a reminder that he needs to be the priority. When you, if you ever go to Israel with us, we're going to try to go in about a year here. I'm working on the details right now. But you know what? Uh, if you go to Israel with us, there's one place you walk into, and it's a model of, of what Jerusalem was like in those days. And the temple dwarfs everything else. It was something that everywhere you went, you could see it. If you were anywhere in Jerusalem, it was evident. And so the temple was something that was in their face. It was constant. It was a reminder always. They could never get away from it. And it was there to remind them of the Lord. Remind them of Almighty God. Remind them of their need to make sacrifices, again, pointing to the coming Savior. He says, who am I then, the end of verse 6, that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifices before him? He understands that, look, I'm building him a building, but, you know, what can I really do for God other than burn sacrifices for him, other than burn incense, other than, you know, faithfully just show my allegiance to him, but there's really not anything I can do for God. It's what God does for me. You know, we can't do anything for God in a sense that he needs, but he chooses to use us and that's a blessing. But I love his humility here. Solomon's like, well, you know, what should I do? I should build him a temple except for burning sacrifices before him, which is something they were called to do was a part of their worship and honoring unto the Lord. It's what we do for God that makes, it's, it's not what we do for God that makes us special. It's what he has done for us and does through us that makes us the most blessed people on the planet. Amen? It's not what we do that makes us special. It's what he did for us that makes us special. The fact that he adopted you into his family, the th fact that he wrote your name down the Lamb's Book of Life, the fact that he holds you in his hand and he will, no one can ever snatch you away from him, the fact that, again, he will never leave you nor forsake you, that's the God that we serve. And we're only special because we're related to him, because we're his kids. Amen? Verse 7. Therefore, send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue, who has the skill to engrave with skillful men who were with me in Judah and Jerusalem, who David my father provided. Now he's, ask, he's asking a tall task. Now let me notice, I want you to notice something. They have craftsmen amongst the children of Israel, because remember, David had already collected all of them in preparation for this. But he also recognizes that they're going to need help from the outside. And I, and I love how that God is going to use Gentiles to help build the temple. You know why? Because the temple points to Jesus, and Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. He was for the Gentiles as well. Can I get an amen to that? 
And so he's crying out. Now, by the way, what he's asking for here, he's asking for somebody who is skillful with gold and silver. Those are softer metals. Bronze is a harder metal. So is iron. But also purple and crimson, he's talking about fabric. So a guy that's good with hard metals, soft metals, and fabric. This is pretty, a pretty unique individual, pretty gifted person. And that's somebody that he was asking for. We need somebody who's uniquely gifted to help us build this temple. Someone who can engrave with skillful men who are with me. I've got skillful men, but I need some more people. I need some people who have talents that maybe they don't have. And God needs to raise them up. Therefore, send me at once. He said, right away. Notice again, not send him to me in six months. I'm going to the beach. Now, when God has a calling on his life, David, David was about it. And now Solomon wants to be about it. This is what God has called me to do. I'm not waiting six months to do it. I want to be faithful to it right away. This is the priority. I'm not going to look at anything else until this is done. Lord, help us to have that same passion to be about what God has called us to do. And he said, whom David, my father, provided, verse 8, also send me cedar and cypress and algum laws from Lebanon. For I know that your servants have the skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed my servants will be with your servants. So cedar trees, the forests of Lebanon, they were famous. These trees were uh, as large as 40 feet around, um, perfect for beams and pillars and carved wood. And they were legendary for their excellent timber. And Solomon wanted to build the temple out of the best materials possible. Again, when it comes to the Lord, we don't give him our leftovers. We give him the best that we have. He didn't want to take any shortcuts in his service to the Lord. He wanted to get the best lumber possible. And we're going to see later on that they would, they, they would maybe this, they were the ones who invented it. I don't know. But at some point, somebody figured out the best way to transport lumber was to throw it in the, they threw it in the Mediterranean. And let it float down the water, and then they would wait down there, uh, you know, the the biggest uh, place that they had for, you know, the biggest seaport, and the water, the, the logs would float down to them, and they would just pull them out of the water. Now I'm sure they had a way of guiding them and keeping them from going astray. I don't know what they did, but that's how they did it. They threw them all in the water. That was a genius, by the way. You imagine dragon logs back then? You, I don't know what you use. You'd have to have an ox carrying one piece of wood. and I mean, Imagine how long it would take. But again, there's wisdom that's being used here to bring about God's perfect will. And to prepare timber for me in abundance for the temple, which I shall build to be great and wonderful. Verse 10, and indeed I will give to your servants and woodsmen who cut timber 20,000 cores of ground wheat 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. So these guys who are going to do the work are going to be compensated. 20, this is 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine, and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. And this is how Solomon paid them. So when people are serving, I want you to notice that he pays them well. And I think as believers, we should do that as well. The Bible says a labor is worthy of his hire. And so we as Christians should not look at another brother and go, oh, well, he's another believer. You can cut me a break, right? I think just the opposite should happen. I think we should bless people. We should pay them over and above. I'm a big believer in that. Why? Because we represent Jesus Christ. Amen? 
When we go into a restaurant, I, I'll, people say this to me sometimes, oh, you're a pastor? I was a waiter, and Christians were the worst tippers ever. I'd see them pray over their meal, and then they would stiff me on the tip. I'm like, that's a horrible testimony. Can I get an amen to that? As believers, we should be a blessing to people, amen? We'll sit in their table for four hours talking about stuff and leave me 50 cents. You know, we don't want to do that. And notice here that David, you know, Solomon is following David's example. But yes, I'm asking for you to send your best men. I'm asking for you to give me your best lumber, but I'm going to compensate you. And I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. And this should be the heart of every believer. So Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Notice he gets other people involved. Solomon doesn't try to do this on his own. He's got all these workers serving alongside him. He's reached out to the king, Hiram. He's bringing in the best of everyone to help him with this task because he wants to do it in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. Port number three, reflecting the Lord to a lost and a dying world. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Wow. So here's a pagan king whose people worship idols, and he says, because the Lord loves his people, he's made you the king. Could you imagine a greater compliment that could be given to this young man from another king who could have been somebody he was in battles with, and he responds to him by saying, the fact that you're the king shows that your God loves. So he's talking about his God, and he's talking about what a blessing he is to his people. We find that kings could read and write, and we're called... Uh, by the Greeks and the Romans, again, some of the, uh, the barbarous nations, even 2,000 years after this, still couldn't write anything. So he writes a letter to them, he sends it off, and he's letting them know that, you know what, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king. And he's quoting the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here. He's speaking of the true and living God. Now, where do you think Hiram might have learned about the true and living God? I think from David. Amen hanging out with David. And David's talking about the true and living God. David wrote the Psalms. David, wrote, you know, David, you know, was a man who wrote worship songs. And, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. And so he's talking to him about the Lord. And now he, David's in heaven. But look, the, the witness that he made toward Hiram is still impacting him. And he's speaking to his own son, talking about the Lord that he serves. Again, we can't say if Hiram was saved. I hope that he was. I hope we'll see him in heaven. But again, this was a man whose land was filled with pagan idolatry, but he knew enough to talk about the Lord. Look at verse 12. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made the heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son and endowed him with prudence and understanding. This guy knows God better than most believers. Amen? There are people that... You know, we're living in Jerusalem that didn't, look what he's, let me, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Amen, amen, and amen. This is from a pagan king who's been impacted by King David. I'm hopeful we see him in heaven. Who made, who made the heaven and earth. Who in the world would have told him that he made the heaven and earth? The pagan kings were all created by men out of their own hands and they, they had moon gods and sun gods and yet he says the true and living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who made the heaven and earth. For he's given King David a wise son and endowed him with prudence and understanding who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. 
So the king, again, in some cases, they would just do this as a way of building a fence and you know, coming into a treaty by praising them. But the knowledge, this level of knowledge that he has about the true and living God that many who even lived in Jerusalem didn't have tells me that somebody had been ministering to this guy. Somebody had been sharing the truth of this guy. And to me, it's got to be King David. Then he says in verse 13, And now I have sent skillful men endowed with understanding, Hurim, my master craftsman. So when he asked him for somebody who could work with gold and silver and bronze and iron and fiber, man, he had to find somebody, and he's sending down the best guy he's got. He finds the best craftsman he's got, and he's going to send him down to help with the building of the temple for the Lord. And again, I love how it's the best that there is are working on the the temple for God. They're not taking shortcuts. They're not giving God the leftovers. They're giving God the best that they have. What a great picture for us to follow. Verse 14, the son of the woman of the daughters of Dan and his father was a man of Tyre. So this man who comes to help, his father, uh, he's he's the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan. So his mom was uh, Jewish and his dad was a pagan. And so this man has a background understanding Israel a little bit because Dan is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so his mom's from the tribe of Dan and his dad is from, is one of the pagan people. So he's coming down and God's going to use him. He said he's skilled to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and stone and wood. Even stone and wood got thrown in there. He even asked for that. Stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David, your father. So here this man is more than they asked for. Again, no doubt uh, Solomon had prayed that God would provide the right man. And here comes the man that they need. And God is going to use this man to bring about God's will. See, again, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro. God's looking for men and women who are available. And you may have a talent or gift that you don't think is being used right now, but just make yourself available and watch out. There may come a time when God is going to raise you up to be used for his glory. Verse 15, now therefore the wheat and the barley and the oil and the wine, which my Lord has spoken of, let him send it to his servants. He's saying, look, I'm sending you the craftsman you asked for. The lumber's coming. It's on its way. It's coming. We'll see in a couple verses here. And you know what? You go ahead and send the payment for the servants. And they're just trusting each other. They're going to bless each other. And they're going to continue this relationship. It shows that Hiram did expect to get paid. His service and the service of his people was not a gift or a sacrifice. And again, we need to keep that in mind when we you know, ask a Christian brother or sister to do something. They, if they're doing something for you of value, let's make sure we take care of them. Amen? Then he says in verse 16, And we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need, and we will bring it to you in rafts. They would tie them off so they would stay together by the sea to Joppa. That was their main seaport. And you will carry it up to Jerusalem. So this plan is all coming together and God will bring the right people at the right time to bring about his perfect will. And I believe that God does this in local churches. You know, people will look at different, some people will visit here, visit other churches, and some people just don't like meeting outside, right? I get it. It's cold at that church. But uh, 
people will visit different churches and sometimes they'll ask me, like, I've gone to a couple churches, I don't know what to do. And I always say this, you'll know when you're home. You'll just know when you're home. When you get home, you'll, you'll come and say, this is it, I'm home. And I said, if it's not our, if we're all one church, if it's somewhere else, that's okay. I want you to be where God wants you to be, amen? And you know what's, what's amazing about that? See, when you're home, God's gonna use you where you are. And praise God that we don't have 800 musicians and no Bible teachers or 800 Bible teachers and no musicians or, or you know, 300 people that know how to do live stream but nobody knows how to teach, right? We've got people that have all different gifts. Why? Because God knows what he's doing when he brings people together to, to create a fellowship, amen? People that have a heart for children's ministry, people with a heart for women's ministry, people that have a heart for prayer, right? He brings people to a fellowship that have their varying gifts. And this is what God did here. He brought people from different places and brought them all together to bring about his perfect plan for the building of the temple. And again, our God is a God of order, amen? And our God knows what he's doing and we need to trust him. Final point, where God guides, God provides. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens. Oh, that's not a very um, politically correct word either, is it? He numbered all the aliens. Some of your Bible translations say strangers. He numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them. And there were found to be 153,000 600. Where did we see that number before? How many people are serving? 153,600. So again, these are people that were more than likely taken captive from the different wars that uh, David went to battle in. And now it's these same people, these, again, these strange, these aliens in the land, they're the ones who are being used to bring about the building of the temple. Now, again, for them, what a blessing that they came and God's using them, but God rounds up the people that are needed. He brings them to the place they are needed. Again, where God guides, God provides. Amen? The Jews were allowed in the law to own slaves, but only if the slaves were, again, people from a foreign land. They had to be Gentiles. So here's the reality. Pretty much everybody who built the temple was a Gentile. And again, why? Because... There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And Jesus didn't die for some. He died for the whole world. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? And he's a God of both the Jew and the Gentile alike. And praise God for that. And it says, and he made 70,000 of them bearers of the burdens, 80,000 stone cutters in the mountain. Can you imagine 80,000 guys cutting stone for seven years. How much stone is that? 70,000 guys digging ditches and preparing things for seven years. How much work has taken place? All of this is being done for the glory and the honor of the Lord. It says 80,000 stone cutters in the mountain and 3,600 overseers to make the people work. There were always managers making sure that the work was being done well, somebody overseeing it. And again, you have three different groups of people with three different gifts. 
Then, along to, then on top of that, you have the guys who, you know, these craftsmen that are coming in to do the ornate things that are going into the temple. But see, it's a, it, takes a, it takes a whole group of people who are all uniquely gifted and all uniquely called by God to come together to bring about God's ultimate work. So, 2 Chronicles 2, keeping the main thing the main thing, making God the priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The first thing Solomon did, I'm now the king, it's time to go, and the first thing he did is I'm determined to build the temple. I'm determined, this is what we're doing, we're going to build the house of the Lord. This is my number one priority as the new king. Wouldn't it be great to have a president whose number one priority was to lift up the name of Almighty God? Well, that's what happened with Solomon, living every day to bring glory and honor to his name, knowing him and making him known. What is a priority of my life? What's a priority of yours? Number two, Christianity is not for the lone ranger. Again, David couldn't do that, or David couldn't do it on his own. Solomon couldn't do it on his own. They couldn't even do it on their own with just the people in their own land. They had to bring other people in to help them bring about God's work. And the same is true for us. When we isolate ourselves, that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to be alone. He wants you to be separated from other believers. You know, when you have a pile of hot coals and you take one out and you set it by itself, what happens to it? It gets cold. And when you pick that same coal back up and put it back with the ones on fire, what happens to it? It reignites. And guys, some of us have, you know, we isolate ourselves and our our walk with the Lord struggles. Uh, Point number three, reflecting the Lord to a lost and a dying world. So when we live out our life, remember that everywhere you go, every, every time you're, you know, in the grocery store, every time you're walking through your neighborhood, wherever you go, every time you interact with people, you are a representative of Almighty God. Amen? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're one of His children. You've been adopted into His family. May we represent Him well to a lost and a dying world. And finally, where God guides, God provides. God is faithful. And I, I'm a, obviously a huge believer in that. You know, we've never passed an offering in this church, and we never will as long as I'm here. If I go to heaven, they might change that. But uh, you know what? Because I just believe that if, if you're here and, and God wants you to give, you'll give from a cheerful heart. You'll purpose in your own heart. And you don't need anybody to twist your arm to do that. And you know what? From the day this church was planted, with all the ministries we do, from we pay the rent at church startups to Ohana to Bayamba to being on radio stations all over the place and all the things that we do here, paying rent here, helping people in our hurt, people in our church that are struggling financially, all of that, God has always provided from day one. And we've never had to ask anybody for anything. God, where God guides, God provides. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this example that we have seen tonight in young Solomon. Lord, that he's purpose in his heart. Above all else, he's determined to do your will, to bring glory and honor to your name, to build up your temple. And Lord, that should be our heart. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you draw us closer unto you. May you mold us more into the image of our Savior. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here who's going through difficulties and trials right now. May you comfort them. Those struggling financially, may you provide for them. Those who have prodigal sons and daughters, we pray for their prodigal sons and daughters to come home. Pray for those who are struggling with health. Lord, your healing touch. We thank you for Tom that you healed him, Lord. To you alone be all the praise and the glory and the honor. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.